Hi, welcome to Sidewalk Talk. I'm Maria Bat, Director of Client Relations and Design for Shovel the Sidewalk. We're a marketing firm in Western New York, and we utilize the power and persuasion of storytelling to build brands and create advertising for other small businesses here. This podcast is all about storytelling, stories about inspiration, information, and education, and today I have a guest that brings all three together. Um, Barbara Breckenridge is a lifelong Buffalonian, and to know Barb is to love Barb. I love Barb. We worked together at the Kidney Foundation quite a few years ago. Barb was diagnosed with chronic kidney disease in 1993. She went on hemodialysis in 96, and if anybody is familiar or knows somebody that is on dialysis, it's exhausting. It is um, not something that you want to be on uh, long-term. And she was able to receive a life-saving kidney transplant on July 31st, 1999. They say that a transplant is receiving the gift of life, and that statement is so incredibly true for Barb. When she received that gift, she made it her life's mission to educate and support people and families living with chronic kidney disease, um, people who received a transplant, people who are in hemodialysis, and also to educate the community here in Western New York about how to prevent kidney disease or slow the progression of chronic kidney disease. She's just an inspiration. She's won so many awards and I'm so happy to have her with us today. So welcome, Barb. Thank you, Maria. Thanks for having me here. You're welcome. It's so nice to see you. It's been like eight years, maybe. Yes. Well, Can it you was believe 11. That so nine years, oh. actually. Yes. Nine years. Wow. Nine I can't believe it. In June, actually. Yeah, I remember that day. Yes. <laughs> so Barb and I used to work at the National Kidney Foundation together, um, and we were there when it closed together too, and had a had a beer in the kitchen right after as we were so upset to drown our sorrows a little bit. Um, Barb, I want to go through really. You've done a lot, so you've gotten you, you received your kidney transplant twenty one years ago, almost exactly twenty one years ago. July 31st, right? Yes. Okay. So your kidney's only 21 years old. And Barb was diagnosed with chronic kidney disease in 93, and you went on dialysis in, uh, three years later. Not everybody knows what dialysis is or how hard it is on somebody to go through it. So can we start just by talking a little bit about what kidney disease is and, and how rough dialysis can be? Well, there are different types of, well, kidney disease are caused for different reasons. Um, high blood pressure, diabetes are the leading causes of uh, kidney disease, but there are other uh, autoimmune diseases that can also cause uh, kidney failure. So I was diagnosed with lupus after I was on dialysis, which was very unusual, but at that time, back in the early 90s, it was more difficult to uh, diagnose um, uh, lupus. So after the two-year period when I was finally diagnosed, that is now on my records as uh, lupus. But having said all of that, I don't have any of the symptoms that I see a lot of people with, with uh, lupus have. So I'm, I'm blessed with that. But anyway, in 96, well, I was diagnosed in 93. So in 96, 
I was sent to um, over at uh, Millet Gate to begin dialysis. Um, I had never seen a dialysis machine, had never been into a dialysis unit. And I tell you, when I walked in there, it was so frightening. I mean, you're sitting there, you're seeing all of these people sitting there looking very, very ill and all the blood and, you know, it, it was, it was just frightening. And um, so actually I sat there and cried for about three weeks, really, because I had not been educated on my disease. At that time, there was no, um, no computers that I could do research. I'm sure the doctors and other medical people probably told me some, but when you receive a diagnosis like that, I shut down and a lot of people do. Um, you know, you're just so fearful of the unknown and, you know, people are talking to you, but actually they're talking at you because you're not hearing anything that they're saying. So anyway, it was very hard for me. You know, now they do educate people prior to having to start dialysis. They will take them to the dialysis center and, you know, just give them the whole protocol uh, and the different modalities for dialysis. But anyway, I started dialysis in 1999 and I sat there for a whole year um, just doing what I thought I was supposed to do and I thought I was doing well, but one of my social workers recognized that I wasn't doing so well. So she's the one that got me involved in the kidney, in the, uh, with the Kidney Foundation. Um, I went on the board of directors there as a patient. But, you know, dialysis is very hard. It's hard on the body. I did uh, hemodialysis. And with hemodialysis, you will go out to a dialysis center and you get in your chair and you, they will place two needles in your arms. You have to have an access to do dialysis. Um, so they will put the two needles in your arms. One needle will bring all the blood out of your body, carry it through the machine, cleanse it, um, 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 take all the uh, impurities out uh, and balance all the other minerals that you need. And you do that um, three times a week usually, um, normally four hours a day. And it's very draining. I mean, you're very tired, it's depressing. It's scary and, you know, it takes a while for you to have, you know, to learn to live with it. I mean, you can live with it because actually it's sort of a blessing uh, dialysis because it wasn't so many years ago, there was no dialysis and people just died. But it's very difficult and, uh, you know, you just have to educate yourself about your disease. You are so restricted as to what you can eat and so restricted as to what you can drink. So there's a lot that you have to learn to deal with besides sitting in that chair for four, four hours a day. And so most people, um, they just have to find a way. Some do, some don't, some, you know. But anyway, I found, um, I found someone that had been on dialysis and had had a successful kidney transplant. And having met her, it really changed my life because I was able to educate myself about the disease. I learned how to eat properly, uh, how to be compliant in all ways. And uh, um, that's the only way you can do it. You have to, first of all, you've got to accept that you have this disease and it's, you've got to live with it. 
and then you've got to educate yourself and just learn how to be compliant and do all the things necessary to make you feel good. You're never going to feel normal again, uh, even with a transplant. When you get transplanted, um, it's another form of treatment. It's not a cure because with the transplant, you've got to take the medicine. Uh, and a lot of people choose not to, to uh, go on the transplant list because they're afraid of all the meds and they're afraid of it not uh, uh, failing. And so it's a very difficult life to live. But, you know, once you get yourself acclimated to this is what I have to do if I want to live, and you can live. I sort of learned how to live as normal as possible. I traveled, you know, I exercised. I did everything that I thought I was supposed to do to be compliant because after I went on the list after a year, after I finally realized that I could live with this disease and I could live and not, not just exist. So then I really began to work at it. And I was able, once I got myself um, acclimated to this lifestyle change, I was able to help other people on dialysis at that time. So, you know, it's not easy, but it's easier now than what it was when I went on because there are different modalities. Now there are different home modalities that people can do and they feel a lot better. They're not as restricted as just the regular hemo was. So it's a lot easier to live with now than when I first started. So, but it's still difficult. It's and difficult. changing the lifestyle is such a huge part. Remember Frank Ireland? Yes, yes. I loved Frank so much. And we did a video with him and he was saying how it wasn't just himself that he had to work with to change his lifestyle. It was his whole family. You know, his yeah. mom who had been making family meals for such a long time was like, it's, it's just chicken. It's just, you know, this, it's just that. Well, no, it isn't. Everybody has to change their lifestyle. So yeah. you also work with people's families of um, people who are on dialysis and who have received transplants as well. Um, that's got to be very helpful for them to have somebody in their back pocket like that. Yeah, it is. And, you know, it's very important that the family members also learn about the disease as much as they can. They will never know the actual process and all of that because they're not going through it. But we do have the support group and we invite family members to come because a lot of times, uh, you know, the, they don't understand what's going on with their loved ones. They think they're just lazy because they don't want to do a lot of things. Uh, they're upset because they can't eat this and they can't eat that and drink that. So it's so important for them to be involved because any chronic disease will affect the whole family. It really does. And uh, so it's good for the families to know. And, you know, my husband, it was just he and I um, when I started all of this and my son, but uh, they had to learn to eat like I ate, you know, because I was still doing the cooking and I had to do what was, um, you know, good for me. And they were good, you know, when they saw that this is what they need to do, you know, they did it. And that's what family members have to do. Um, you know, they have to get rid of the salt, which that's very difficult for a lot of them. But, you know, we had classes for families so that they could learn how to cook for their loved ones and, and know that they are tired. They are not lazy. It's a grueling process to have to sit there with your blood going out of your body for four hours a day and coming, you know, and then returning it to your body. So 
you know, it's a lifestyle change for the entire family. And even a lot of your friends, you know, you got to go out with them, you know, and do things and they have to sort of understand where you are and what you can do and not, not to try to put things in your way that's going to make you get off of your diet or make you become uh, compliant. So anyway, it, you know, it's a process and, uh, you know, you learn to live with it and uh, your family's family members have to learn to live with it. So. And most people do because they're really concerned about the loved one. And when they, when they get educated about it and find out exactly what they're going through and all the things that they need to do to be compliant, most family members do go along with it. So, How important is it to have that support system? You know, I'm, you've seen patients go through and they're all by themselves um, and they don't have anybody else. How much better is it for them to have either somebody at home or somebody like yourself to kind of keep pushing them through. Yeah, well, you know, we have people that come to our support group quite often that don't have anybody, or sometimes they're just disconnected with family members. And so we're there within our support group. We've got people that's been transplanted. Uh, some was on dialysis, some were not on dialysis. We have some people that are on dialysis, you know, currently. And uh, so we have someone there that, they could connect with whatever stage they may be with their journey with kidney disease. We got a lot of people that's just been diagnosed and uh, they are frightened, they are afraid. And even though they have, um, they have a lot of resources now to educate themselves, it's still not like having someone to talk to that's been there and done that. So it's very helpful for them. And we get a lot of people that will come there and uh, get what they need and they will leave. But a lot of them get there, they feel so comfortable being in the presence of all these other people until we, they stay. And we become like family and we love and respect each other because we know what that person is going through, you know, uh, what they've been through. So it's like a, it's like a community uh, uh, support group, you know, and we have it, you know, we try to have a safe location for them and, you know, we make them feel welcome. We let them know that whatever they say there, whatever, whatever they do there, it's going to stay right there. So, you know, we let them know that they are safe. We have a safe environment there and whatever happens there stays there. And we have a, we have a core group of about, uh, 12, 15 people that we're there all the time. So whenever someone new comes in there, um, they can, you know, talk to any about anything because there's somebody there that has gone through some of what they, they're going through. And even if they come by themselves, if they, we try to invite, try to uh, have them invite family members or even a friend, you know, some people have no family. So we try to have them uh, to bring a friend with them just so they have some type of support outside of us, you know, so. And some, aside from the support, you know, for, first of all, for a long time, you were kind of a one woman show um, running these support groups and, and running the Kidney Foundation. Something else that you do is provide, well, before, before our new COVID world, you were doing this, um, free kidney screenings within the community. Um, I think not a lot of people know that checking these levels is something that they should do if you're somebody who has um, diabetes or 
high, high blood pressure that you should be monitoring your kidney levels. And a lot of times you are in more um, uh, either an inner city, like a more urban area or also like senior centers. I remember going into a lot. Why those two locations? Well, well, first of all, uh, kidney disease is more prevalent in the African-American, um, Hispanic and Native American communities. And also people over 65, people are living longer now. And sometimes, you know, with all the meds and, and as we grow older, we lose some function anyway. So we've got a lot of older people on dialysis. So those are the places, when we first started, um, we were trying to identify people in the early stages, people that didn't have insurance or was, um, didn't have the type of insurance that they could receive all the attention that they needed. So we were able to um, identify people in the early stages in order to try to prevent them from needing dialysis. And so we were doing the same thing just recently, you know, before COVID, um, we would go to senior places, um, we'd go to churches um, in the community and even out into the rural areas, we would go. Um, and the senior places because, uh, you know, a lot of people just don't go to the doctor. A lot of older people, they just don't trust the doctor. So we would go in the area and, um, you know, screen them. And most likely you're gonna find something with the older people, but um, just because they've lost some function doesn't mean that they have end-stage renal disease going on. So yeah, it, it was a great program, and it's still a great program if we ever uh, get it going back to get back up again, um, because, um, you know, if you can catch it in the early stages, you may be able to slow the progression or sometimes even stop it. So it's a good program. We've got one lady, uh, I guess she doesn't have good insurance, but anytime she sees that there's a screening, she's there. She's always the first one on my list, but you know, she's very concerned about her health. And so anything free that she can get screenings and that she is there. When she calls, she doesn't even have to say anything. I know who she is. So yeah, but it's a good thing. You know, it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. And uh, so we found a lot of people sometimes in the fourth stages, you know, there's five stages of kidney disease. And if you're um, three or above, you know, you're pretty safe. But under that, you know, you got some issues there that you need to address, you know, with lifestyle changes. Uh, even with the screenings, we give them information about the diet and, you know, seeing their doctors and taking their meds and keeping the blood pressure and the diabetes under control. So. It's a great program, and hopefully, um, you know, it will start back up once this has gotten to a place where it's manageable. Yeah, and that education you do is a huge part because there are people with risk factors that can, like you said, either slow the progression or stop it in its tracks yeah. with, with diet and, and exercise and just those lifestyle changes. Right. Now, you also... Uh, when you received your transplant, how long after that did you become a uh, transplant Olympian? Oh, and let me see, I got my transplant. In 02, I went to my first games down in Orlando. <laughs> that was a disaster. <laughs> <laughs> so there is, for those that don't know, 
there is a transplant games. They have U.S. transplant games and they have world transplant games. And Barb is a dynamo in track and field and has gotten oodles and oodles of medals and has traveled all over the world. What is the transplant games like? Because you have people there that, you know, never thought they'd be able to walk two miles and then they're competing in these athletic events. And then it's also, there's donors there, there's donor families. And I've heard great stories of people meeting um, donor families and it's, it's an incredibly emotional and uplifting event. It is, it is, it's amazing. You know, it's almost indescribable. It's almost like you can't really, relate to someone the you know this event uh everyone there has been transplanted all the athletes has a transplant there's hearts there's lungs there's livers there's intestines there's corneas hearts you know any transplant somebody all the athletes have had that we also have donor families there we have living donors a lot of supporters and once you get to the games, you have a, everybody has a badge. So on that badge, it will identify, you know, what connection you have there. So a lot of times uh, we'll, you'll walk up to a donor family, you'll see their badge and you just grab them and give them a hug because even though it's not your donor family, they have saved a life. All of those donor families and those living donors have saved and enhanced lives. And, you know, there's old people, young people, middle-aged teenagers, there's everybody there. And all of us have gone through something. And when you meet, it's like one big family. Even, even in the foreign countries, a lot of these people does not speak your language or speak English, but they know why you're there. So you just grab them and give them a hug. You know, if they can, if they can, if they can understand you, you talk about your journey or what you received, how long you've had your, your transplant. And it's just amazing. And you connect with so many people, uh, you know, with the U.S. games and around the world. Um, and you see these people, you know, every two years, you will see these same people. And then when you don't see someone, you're afraid to ask, you know, because you know what the mortality rate is. And, uh, but anyway, it's just amazing. And, and we look for each other when we get there. And oh my God, we're so excited to see each other because we're still alive, you know, we're still there. And it's just amazing. And we, we uh, compete, uh, in all kind of Olympic style activities, uh, track and field, swimming, cycling, volleyball, basketball, golf. I mean, just all different um, different uh, type of activities. And, um, you know, we win medals and that's wonderful. Really nice to win medals, but we are there to show, what a, we're there to show the world the importance of transplantation, you know, how it changes and enhances lives, how it saves lives. Uh, because most of us there would never be there if it wasn't for those people that decided to be an organ donor or those living donors that decided to share part of them with someone else. So it's just an amazing event. Uh, this year, we were supposed to be down in New Jersey for the World Games. That was canceled. They've got that rescheduled for um, next uh, July. And the World Games were going to be down in Houston 
um, in 21, having been in the USA in 40 some years and everybody was looking forward to it. That's been canceled already. So I don't know if they will try to reschedule that or not, but uh, hopefully they will. But I said, oh my God, by the time I get to the next world game in 23, I'll be 80 years old. No, <laughs> <laughs> but you'll still be there. If I know yeah. you, you'll still yeah. be there. You know, the oldest, um, oldest um, recipient that was uh, competing uh, the last couple of years was like 86 years old. This man was from really, and you talking about somebody could run. I mean, this man could beat seventies and sixties running. Okay, and the <laughs> and the youngest uh, athlete I've met was an eighteen month old little girl. I forgot where she was oh, from. Oh no, she the World Games, yes, and she had had a heart transplant, and they had her in like this little contraption, and um, uh, they took her out of that, unhooked a feeding tube and she was just gonna throw the ball. And so we had to wait until she would take the ball. So finally she took the ball and we wanted her to throw the ball. She didn't wanna throw the ball. So we had to wait another 20 minutes for her just to get the ball out of her hand. So, but she won a medal. She won a medal for just throwing the ball. Yeah, so there's something there for everybody to do. You know, I remember one of the first games I went to, there was a blind girl there that had been transplanted. And uh, she would throw the ball and she threw the discus and someone would just take her up to the line, you know, and let her throw it. And so it's not about so much winning the medals. It's just about being there. You are alive and you're showing people, you know, what transplantation can do for not only you, for your families, because we talked about that before. Your families go through the whole thing, same things, you know, you do. So it's just often, it's just so hard to describe, but uh, we just, it's just so much love in these transplant games because people, you know, when you've been through all of that and you've been near death and you can see the light again, you know, it, it's amazing. It changes you. It changes you and everybody around you because even your friends have seen what you've gone through and, you know, they it, it wakes them up to the importance of trying to be healthy and try to, you know, eat properly and see the doctors and all of that. So it's, it's a journey, but, you know, it's been an amazing journey for me. Um, you know, I'm not happy that I went through all of that, but what I went through changed me. It changed me totally. Uh, it changed my whole outlook on life. It made me want to be an example to others. It wanted, it made me want to assist others on their journey. And that's what I've been doing for the last 20 years. And I'm just so grateful that I'm still able to do it because I tell you, people call me every day and everybody in Western New York has my cell number. So anytime that they have an issue or their family member have an issue, they can reach me. I even have people calling me from other states because their loved ones might live here and they know about the work that I do. So I have them calling me from California, Texas, Atlanta, all over the places. And, you know, I'm able to give them resources, you know, to help them through. So yeah, I'm blessed. And I'm so very grateful for that person that decided that he would be an organ donor. And when he passed his family members, you know, about it with his wishes. And I was the recipient of one of his kidneys. So 
it seems like such a small thing that anybody can do. Like you go, you get your driver's license. Do you want to be an organ donor? You check that box. There's so many people that don't, but you, I mean, one person can save how many lives with, with their organs. They could save like eight lives with, uh, with, with, with organs, but you can save one person can save like 50, 50 life, enhance 50 lives with the uh, corneas, tissue, uh, skin. You know, if someone is burned, you know, they use that skin and they're less likely to have rejection, even with bones when the athletes and or you break a leg or something and rather than put some artificial plastic or something in it, they use actually donor bones and you're less likely to uh, get infection or to re be able to reject it, you know, if, as, you know, if it's plastic or whatever steel or whatever they use to, uh, you know, to fix those things. So yes, it, you know, I just wish, I think in Spain I was there and I understood in Spain that when you were born, you're an organ donor. So I just wish that could be every place because there would be no need for people to suffer. If you need a kidney, you'll be able to get a kidney. If you need a heart, you'll be able to get it because it's going to be always available, you know. But we haven't gotten there yet. I don't know if we'll ever get to that point, but it would be great. But, uh, you know, for those that, um, it's just a simple thing. Like you said, you can sign your license when you get your license uh, renewed or you know, you can go online and sign up to be an organ donor. And, and it's such a, it's just such a legacy that you can leave uh, once you no longer need these organs. You've, they've given you a good life. You've lived a good life. You've used them. And once you're gone, you no longer need them. So you can leave them back here and save lives. You can, a blind person or a kid, you can have them see you know, uh, somebody needs a kidney, won't have to be on dialysis, need a heart, they could live, a liver, they could live, you know, intestines. I mean, you can leave all of that back. Um, a lot of times, well, most people that um, die are not eligible to be an organ donor because to be an organ donor, uh, you know, um, a solid organ donor, you have to be on uh, life support. You know, you have to be declared brain dead. And then, you know, they can keep those organs viable and, you know, get them. But you can still do all the other things. So, you know, you can still do the skin, the corneas, uh, tendons, nerves. I mean, just, just about every part of the body they can use to help someone. And, you know, because once you leave here, you're going back to the dirt. So, you know. <laughs> Going back to the dust. That's where we came from, the dust. So we're going back to the dust. So you can just leave that to save lives and to help families, really. Because if you save a life, you can say you've saved, you've helped that family member or those family members too. So now, why is this? I mean, you're on a, a really a life saving mission, and as long as I've known you, and I know you've been doing it a lot before you knew me and you'll be doing it, you know, after. Why is this so important to you? Why have you made this your your life's mission? Well, Maria, you know, I was very sick for so long from like 92 up until 99 when I, and even after I got the transplant. So for about 10 years, I was very ill. There was a couple of times that they called my family to the hospital 
saying that, um, you know, by morning I wouldn't be there. And I went through a lot of testing and a lot of procedures and just a lot of everything. And so when I finally got that transplant and everything started working out for me, I was so grateful. And I told God, I said, you know, I am so grateful that you brought me this far. And, you know, whatever you want me to do, just show me and I'll go. And that's what I've done. You know, I, 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 it's, it's, it's just a part of who I am now, you know, because I know what I went through and hopefully I would hope that somebody else wouldn't have to go through all that I went through. They're going to go through some of the things if you're on dialysis, but I went through an awful lot because, you know, things are a lot better now and a lot easier than it was back then because it evolves, you know, they're constantly doing research and, you know, every, the meds are getting better and all of that. But uh, it's just a part of who I am now and I probably will never stop doing it. In fact, I need to tell you that I was terminated from my job last Friday. No, yes. you were? Yes. You know, after after we closed, you know, I went with um, Northeast Kidney Foundation. Well, first of all, I worked out of my home for a year. Um, mm -hmm. ECMC gave me a little money and units gave me a little money and I was able to continue to help people, you know. And so finally, uh, the woman down in Albany said that, you know, she would be happy to come in and help us. So we stayed, the foundation worked under her for um, three years. And then in 15, um, the people decided, well, we should have our own local organization here. And that's what we did. And um, so I, um, I was executive, well, you know, I've been interim director, I've been executive director, I've been community relations, I've been some of everything. Uh, but uh, in 15, we um, hired someone to be um, executive director. And I went back to doing what I do, being um, on community relations and um, you know patient services. So we hired someone and they changed him over to something else because we are under, we are under uh, Connect Life. It was units, but now it's Connect Life. So we're sort of under them. They had the governing board. We had an advisory board. Well, anyway, so um, March in early March when this all started, um, it was just two of us left. There, um, another younger guy that had uh, worked for for Connect Life, and I. So they made him the um, uh, director. They didn't make him an executive director, probably because of pay or whatever. But anyway, it was the two of us there. So, you know, he was supposed to do the grant writing and stuff that you did and that and and help with the education and he did and so we came and uh I, we worked from home for two weeks then they said well you know why don't we told me to take the go get the unemployment i was laid off so that was fine i did that and so then last friday i received this letter in the mail saying well you won't be called back we're terminating your position as of uh, the 18th so i said okay so that's where I am now. But you know what? My job is terminated, but my mission is not. So and I've already got people wanting me to do things. I've just got to decide. Well, I'm working with the uh, 
transplant surgeon over at UB. She's got this grant. So I'm sort of doing a few things with her now, you know, like um, just looking at some of the things that she's doing and uh, given my viewpoint of some of these things. So I'm doing that. And the support group we will continue to have because that was never a kidney foundation support group. It was a patient led by patient for patient group. So I don't think they know that yet, but uh, that's what it is. And that's what it's going to be. And I, and I also, um, I'm on the board with IPRO. IPRO is an organization that that's contracted by uh, CMS, Center for Medicaid and for Medicaid and Medicare. And their, their job is to see that all the dialysis units in the USA are in compliance, that the people are being, uh, take, the patients are being taken care of and everybody's abiding by the rules uh, as far as giving the care to the patients. So I'm on the board there and uh, I do a lot with them. Um, I'm on calls all the time. Now they put me on more and more calls. So, but I've got to just figure out you know, exactly what I want to do and how I want it to look. I don't want to my, my calendar to look like I'm still working because I had something in there just about every day. So now that I don't have a job, uh, it's okay. And I'm okay with it, you know, because I can still do it. But uh, really the way it was done, and I didn't think anything about it because, you know, we moved out to Williamsville uh, from downtown, which I didn't like making the drive, but I did it. And uh, I probably would have continued to do it. But I just thought perhaps, I knew my job, I knew I wouldn't be going back for a long time, uh, you know, because of the nature of my job. My job is being in the community, you know. So I knew that, but I had thought, well, maybe later, maybe I could do something like for them, maybe doing the screenings and doing some of the education and some of the speaking engagements and that. But they just said it was, um, they just said I was terminated. And so I was talking to my daughter and she said, oh my goodness. She said, all you've done, you've kept that organization, you've built that organization and you get a form letter in the mail. Yes. So then I started thinking, but you know, I'm still okay. I'm still okay. And I'm still going to continue my work because when all of this is over, I'll still be able to go in the dialysis unit. I still plan to, um, do some of the social activities for the patients because that's really one of the things I really like to do because you know these people be so depressed and a lot of times they don't have the resources to do a lot of things with their families with their grandkids and all of that so once a year we have a, a big cookout over at Ellicott Creek um, we do um, a post-holiday party and I'm gonna still find fun someplace to do those things and I know I can so those I will continue to do. As far as, uh, you know, with the Kidney Foundation, we provided like food for people or transportation. Sometimes we paid for utility bills or, you know, just all kind of different little emergencies that they would have come up. We tried to do that. I might not be able to do a lot of that, but if the Kidney Foundation is still going, they can do that. But I'm still going to be out in the community doing um whatever I can do to help the patients. And, and they'll still be calling me because as I said, everybody's got my phone number in Western New York and every place else. So I'm okay. And I'm still going to continue with my mission. So no one can stop that. Well, you're an incredible inspiration to, 
so many people. And as you said, everybody in Western New York has your number. So I don't think you're going to have many, many quiet days on you. I know I told you the story not too long ago. My husband still laughs. They were working on the kidney walk and they're on the corner putting a sign up and a bus Metro bus pulls over to say hi to Barb. <laughs> I'm going to be a family member, but everybody knows you, but you know, <laughs> there's a saying of uh, a life of service is, is a life well lived. And I think if everybody would just give back a teeny bit of and putting in a little bit of the effort that you are, this, this world would be a much, much better place and it would be a much kinder place. And Thank you so much for everything that you do, Barb. I just love you. Thank you. I love you too, Maria. And thanks for having me here. We've got to get together. Yeah, we do. Yes. Yeah. As soon as you're out and about, because so that's something else a lot of people don't know is, you know, you've had a transplant. You're probably on an immunosuppressant um, drug. Yes. Yeah. So, so this social distancing and wearing masks, you know, it's not just cramping your style. It's saving a lot of lives of people like Barb. So uh, think about that too. And sign your donor cards, everybody. Absolutely. If you or someone you know has a story that needs to be shared, visit our website, shovelthesidewalk.com, fill out the form on the Sidewalk Talk page, and we'll be in touch to set that interview up. You can also check out the rest of our podcasts on our website or whatever platform you prefer to stream your podcasts on. Thank you so much for joining Barb and myself, and this has been Sidewalk Talk.